Alright, let's open in prayer. Lord God, thank you for your word uh, that we can come and hear it. Uh, Thank you that you uh, speak to us through your word. Um, And Lord, I pray that uh, as um, this passage talks about, Lord, that you would uh, heal us of our our spiritual uh, blindness and deafness, Lord, so that we would uh, hear from you and and, uh, see Christ through your word, through this passage this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Uh, There's a classic piece of parenting advice I'm sure you've probably heard. Um, Never make a promise you can't or won't keep. Or conversely, never threaten a punishment that you're not going to carry through on. Um, It's something that uh, I know we've heard uh, uh, plenty of times um, from different places. Um, And I'm sure many of us have um, know of stories or, or occasions where we or someone around us has failed. Um, Steve shares this story <coughs> um, that he was uh, a part of a wedding um, party, a bridal party, um, and when they were going to get the suits um, from the from the hire shop, uh, there was another another group of of another bridal party there. Uh, one of the uh, the members of this bridal party was a young child, uh, presumably the page boy, um, and his mother was trying desperately to get him into the suit that he had to try on. Um, Steve describes the, uh, the conversation. Mum says, try the suit on, the boy. I don't want to. Well, we need to see if it fits, so try it on. Well, I don't want to try it on. So the mum says, well, do you want Maccas? The boy says, yeah, of course I want Maccas. Well, then try it on. Uh, And so the conversation continues uh, with the, the mother and the child getting more and more hysterical and worked up. And... The, uh, Steve mentions that he doesn't know whether the, uh, the mother actually gave the child Maccas in the end. Um, but he suspects, given that the way the conversation was going, that the resolve wasn't there to carry through on that threat of withholding um, that treat of, of going to Maccas afterwards. <clears throat> and if he did get the Maccas, if he did, if the mother forgot or failed to follow through on that threat, of course, the child wouldn't have learned a lesson. Well, he would have learned a lesson, but it wouldn't be the right one. He would have learned, if I make enough of a racket, mum's going to give in to whatever I want. Mum's threats, her promises, uh, will be proved false. Now, in the law, when God made his covenant with his people, he made certain promises and certain threats. Much bigger promises uh, than a a nice Macca's meal. But much bigger curses, much bigger threats than that as well. Leviticus 26 verse 33 says, I will scatter you among the nations. This is if they have 
sinned against him. I will scatter you among the nations and I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. The threats that God had for his people are really a necessary backdrop um, that we need to have in our minds as we approach the books of the prophets. When God sent his prophets to his people to warn them of coming judgment, he was reminding them over and over again of his promises and his threats. And these aren't promises that God is unable or unwilling to keep. Now, he is very patient, we see throughout the Old Testament, but he will carry through on these things. But what we see also throughout the Old Testament is that over and over and over, God's people failed him. They sinned, as this passage says. They would not walk in his ways. They would not keep his law, according to verse 24. They were enticed by idol gods of the peoples around them. And so even though Yahweh God was very patient, he sent the prophets to them to remind them of the terms of the covenant, eventually his patience ran out and the people fell under his judgment and he carried through on that promise from Leviticus, I will scatter you among the nations. Uh, Now, in Isaiah's day, the northern tribes got that punishment. Uh, They were carried away by the Assyrian Empire. Uh, Judah was preserved, um, as we saw a few years back, Um, but its obedience wasn't a whole lot better. And so, as we also saw, God promised at the end of chapter 39 of Isaiah that they would get sent to Babylon. And from that point on in Isaiah, that exile in Babylon is taken as something of a foregone conclusion. But even in those those covenant curses, those promises of judgment, God had promised mercy as well. Uh, Back, I mentioned Leviticus 26 before, and a little bit, a few verses later in that chapter, God says, If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the lands of their enemies, even if their uncircumcised heart is humbled, and if they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them for I am the Lord their God. I will for their sake remember the covenant. And now as I said, Isaiah wrote one and a half centuries before the exile was carried out. But like I said, from chapter 40 onwards, that exile is taken as a foregone conclusion. Chapters 40 to 55 were written in advance to bring challenge and hope for the people who found themselves in exile when God's threats proved anything but empty. Now, in chapters 1 to 39, God had asked the question, will his people repent 
of their sin and continue to walk with him in the land. And again, that answer was a resounding and very sad no. But God had promised that back in chapter 6. He said they would keep on hearing but never, but not understand. They would keep on seeing but not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So God says they were going to be too blind and deaf and hard-hearted to heed that call to turn back to God. So now the question is, will they continue to be that in exile? Well, in Isaiah 42, we've, uh, as Janelle just read for us, Yahweh picks up those images of blindness and deafness again. Uh, verses 18 to 20 of chapter 42. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. These people of course are in no better spiritual state than they were before. They're still blind, they're still hard-hearted, they're still spiritually deaf to the things that God is saying. They're failing uh, as his servant. Now, Ray, last week, you might remember, introduced us to the servant uh, in Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations, and so on he goes. Now, you might remember that, and you think that doesn't really match up with what we're reading in this passage. And that's the point. It's like when you go to Macca's, and, you, you know, they have those pictures up on the screen, and you, like, it looks like this giant burger, and it's mouth-watering, and it has the, the big and juicy patty in it, and there's lots of fluffy lettuce and bits of tomato and beautiful cheese and then you order it and it comes out and it's kind of deflated and there's three bits of soggy soggy lettuce in there and the cheese is sort of half off the the patty and it's about three quarters pickles (laughs) and so you you come to this passage in, in Isaiah 42.18 and you go, is this even the same person? Like what's happened to this nice picture that Isaiah 42 verse 1 presented to us? Well, in verse 18, we're obviously seeing Israel in exile. They were called in the covenant to serve Yahweh, but they were blind and deaf and altogether spiritually good for nothing. That's not the person in Isaiah 42.1. He is the ideal servant, the promised one of God, who would embody and accomplish all that God's people should have been and done. But measured up to that standard... Isaiah 42, 18-20 are an indictment on God's people. Hard words. 
Physically, they can see and hear, but their seeing and hearing are useless to the point that they might as well be blind and deaf because their spiritual senses <coughs> excuse me, are not leading them to arrive at wise conclusions. They're not seeing and hearing spiritual realities. They should have been seeing the destruction of Jerusalem and the fact that, that they were exiled, the fact that God's judgments against them had come true as part of God's activity in history, that he had kept his promises to curse them for covenant failure and they should have seen that spiritually, spiritual reality and that should have led them to repentance. They should have been listening to the words of the prophets, taking them to heart and acting on them. But they were deaf to the things of God. Now these are common human failings, aren't they? It's something that you see uh, lots of people around us, isn't it? That they... Uh, should see what's going on in the world and and, uh, repent of their sin. But we don't see that happening. But it's not just them. I see plenty of things going on. I see plenty of sin in my own life and I fail to repent of it. And... I wonder if you can relate to that as well. Seeing things but not perceiving. He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open but he does not hear. Is that about you? Is that about... This church or the church in Australia, that there are things going on, the spiritual realities, and we are failing to heed heed them. We are called to serve God in the world, but failing to be a light of any description. We are spiritually good for nothing, wholly inadequate to God, but to, to the task that God has called us to. now before verse 21 then reminds us that this is uh, the people's fault not God's God had given them a good law Uh, he was pleased verse 21 says for his righteousness's sake to magnify his law and make it glorious God's word was a good and glorious word not just a set of rules but a way of life richness and beauty It was the privilege of his people, Paul says, to have such a treasure. And they needed to be careful not to underestimate this privilege. But that privilege is only as good as as the obedience of the person. Paul says it's it's so such a blessing for Israel or in his day it was such a blessing for Israel in our day it's such a blessing for us to have the word of God but it's only good if we do it and none of us have done it perfectly 
We've all been blind and deaf to the things in God's word. Uh, And then verses 22 to 25 describe uh, in prophetic hindsight uh, the, the victory that Babylon had over Israel. This is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore. It's a comprehensive, devastating defeat. God's people have themselves been carried off as plunder. Uh, Verse 20. Uh, uh, second half of verse 22 sorry they have become plunder with none to rescue spoil with none to say restore no one is able to do anything about it they lack any capacity for reversing the situation none of them can restore the nation but in but as verse 23 says no one is even paying attention to the the fact that god had done this So verse 22, Isaiah calls them to, to, to think, who has done this? What is the spiritual significance of this? Guys, listen up. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not Yahweh against whom we have sinned? I, this should be heartbreaking to think that God had judged his people. Now, Isaiah has been talking the whole way through in in the third person, talking about Israel uh, as a them or a he. But in in verse 24, he slips back into into that first person, we have sinned. Again, heartbreaking truths that that they were failing to listen to. So he poured on him the heat of his anger, verse 25, and the might of battle and set him on fire all around, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. Even in spite of all the judgment of God, his people continued to be the deaf and blind people that we saw back in chapter 6. That's the, the present problem. But in verse, 20, in verse 1 of 43, we see something new. But now, thus says the Lord. But indicates this is a huge shift. Something is changing. This is a promise that God is going to do something about this predicament, this problem that he's explained God says, here is something that you can hold on to. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. 
despite everything, despite his people's continuing blindness and deafness, despite them treating his love for them with disdain, Yahweh has not finished with his people. Uh, We've seen this uh, phrase, fear not, a number of times already uh, throughout Isaiah 40 to um, so far since then. Uh, 33 times it comes up in the Bible, fear not. There's plenty of things around in the world that will make us fear. God says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What an amazing promise for this people that are spiritually blind and deaf and in exile. Despite their repeated failure, Yahweh says to his exiles, fear not. Why? Because he has redeemed them. He has paid a price to release them from captivity. Just as he once did in leading them out of slavery in Egypt. God saves. Now, as as I said, there's plenty of things in the world that make us fear. Uh, We, like Israel, are in exile. Some of you will have watched the news last night and thought, oh, now we're really in exile. Some of you might have watched the news last night and thought, oh, the exile's over, we can rejoice now. No, the fact is we were in exile before the government changed, we're in exile now. We're in a world that opposes us, no matter who's the Prime Minister. But God says, fear not. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honoured and I love you. Have you ever thought about that phrase? God says, I love you. What a wonderful thing to hear from our Father. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Remember Exodus 34 verse 6, Moses says, you know, how can I, who are you? How can I describe you? Just after the people had uh, devoted themselves to Baal, to the, sorry, to the golden calf, God says this, I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Yahweh does not write off his people. He's not ashamed to identify with them as their redeemer. They belong to him. They are his treasured possession. God's people have no need to fear. He has redeemed them and he will preserve them because he loves them. And they belong to him. And like, his, like Isaiah, we can uh, um, 
leave the third person, I guess. God loves us. God loves you. You belong to him. Uh, Verse 5, we get a second fear not. And so we get a second reason to fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, this is not just talking about uh, Israel as in exile. God is calling to himself everyone who is called by my name. That includes you and me. If you believe in Jesus, you are called by his name. We saw this back in, uh, in when we were studying Acts, in Acts 15. Uh, James quoted this verse to say, God is bringing Gentiles in. God is bringing his people from all nations, from north, south, east, west. God is bringing them together. All people who are called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God is doing a great and marvellous thing. He is redeeming, bringing people to himself. He promises to undo all those curses, all those, those uh, the, the exile problems that he uh, carried out in, uh, in 42 verses 22 to 25. Now, note that he hasn't actually said how he's going to do that yet. He said, this is what's going to happen. Keep an eye out. Watch me save you. But he hasn't said how yet. But before we get to that, uh, he says uh, in verses 8 to 13, uh, we explore... uh, uh, God has dealt with, in verses 1 to 7, sorry, the... Um, the problem of exile that he explained in verses 22 to 25. And then in 8 to 13 of 43, uh, he is going to address the problem of spiritual blindness and deafness. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. God gathers uh, the peoples together, all the nations of the earth, for one purpose, that you may know and believe me. The time has come for the spiritual the spiritually blind and deaf to hear and understand and see spiritual truth. Uh, Now, a number of times throughout Isaiah, God presents lessons uh, uh, as a court case to show that they are true. Uh, Court cases are are designed to, are set up to show what's true and what's false. And so God brings uh, heaven and earth um, a number of times throughout Isaiah to, as a court case assembled to prove something true. 
And he does this to prove to them that I am he, verse 10 says. So he does this by asking a question of all the nations. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? In other words, who can interpret the meaning of the past? Who can interpret God's judgment, God's exile of his people? Who can interpret them? Well, we've already seen it's God. No one else has the spiritual understanding to to know what the history of the world means. But God speaks to us in his word. This is what has happened. Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. Someone else can try and bring their own witnesses. They try and find their own way of proving what's right. But you yourselves are witnesses that I am true. That you may know and believe and understand that I am he. Come on, nations, bring, bring out all the, the blind, deaf, mute idols that we've seen in the last few chapters. Bring them out and we'll, we'll ask questions of them and see if they have good answers. God says, I have the answers. Look to me, believe me, listen to me. Verse 10, he goes on the offensive. Before me no God was found, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am Yahweh, and besides me there is no saviour. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God, and henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Again, he's going on the the offensive against these idols that have been gathered together. You know, you guys can't do anything, but I can. I am Yahweh. I am God. There is no saviour aside from me. Unlike the nations who form their gods, Yahweh is eternal and uncreated. As unlike the gods of the nations as as it is possible to be. He is holy, the Holy One of Israel, verse 14 says. And in his holiness, in his unique authority and omnipotence, he alone is capable of delivering what the people really need. Salvation. Safety from his wrath on the day when he judges the earth. Verse 12, his work is beyond the scope of any human to challenge or even frustrate. He speaks and it comes to pass. He acts and no one can undo it. There is no God like him. There is no human like him. There is no God but Yahweh. So the stage is set. Israel are blind and deaf and in exile. But God will save them from exile 
and explain all that they cannot perceive. But that leaves us with the burning question. It's very easy, we can sum it up in one word. How? Very easy to ask, very difficult to answer. But from verses 14 to 21... Yahweh explains the way from here to there. Verse 14, Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am Yahweh, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Uh, God... Address, speaks of Babylon by name here. He hasn't actually done that since Isaiah 39. Uh, and the fact that he's doing it here and now is that God is saying, even in exile in Babylon, I will gather you back. Even the world's current superpower is not beyond the reach of his mighty arm. Even the farthest ends of the earth are not beyond the reach of God's mighty arm. Even the greatest nation on earth is not stronger than God's mighty arm. The Holy One of Israel who made a way of his escape through the people, for his people through the Red Sea, verse 16, will make a way through the desert. He who has overcome, in verse 17, the chariots and horses and armies and warriors of of Egypt so that they lie down and cannot rise will overturn the nation of Babylon. He will work through the nation of the Medes and Persians to bring Israel back into their land. But more importantly... Thank you. The the new Exodus predicted here isn't just about Israel coming back from Babylon into their land. Certainly under King Cyrus of Persia, many of the Judean exiles went home to Jerusalem. But even then it became clear that the exile was only partially over. They continued to live in an occupied nation with a constant nagging suspicion that they were kind of slaves in their own country. And that feeling was nothing if not uh, increased by the time that Jesus arrived. We can see that in the Gospels. They never really ceased being exiles and captives. But even more importantly than that, this physical return to the land did nothing to address the spiritual blindness and deafness of Israel. God still had to send prophets during the exile. He still had to send prophets after the exile. And even four, five centuries later when Jesus turns up on the scene, he quotes Isaiah and says, you guys are still blind and deaf and hard-hearted and you do not see, you do not understand. Something has to change. 
There needs to be a greater exodus. There needs to be a greater salvation from exile, from this spiritual plight that Israel were in. And not just them, but us too. And so in Luke 19, uh, sorry, 9 verse 31, when Jesus was transfigured, he spoke about his departure, or perhaps better, his exodus, which he was about to accomplish. The exodus which God, uh, from Egypt, which God rescued his people from slavery through the offering of the blood of a lamb. The exodus from Babylon, uh, when God forgave the sins of the repentant and act, acted on behalf of the people called by his name. Both of those were foreshadowings of a greater salvation. One where God, the Redeemer, paid the price for his people's sins. Paid it in his own death. The sins caused by their spiritual blindness and deafness, which must be turned away from, those sins God paid for by becoming a man and dying on the cross. And he dealt with those issues by remaking his people, including us, in the image of his true servant, Jesus, so that, as verse 21 says, they might declare my praise. These people whom I have formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So we've seen throughout Isaiah um, that the book mingles threats and punishments. Both are real, neither are empty. God does not promise things that he can't keep or make threats that he won't keep. God's threats of punishment for his people were real even if they had been overlooked and underestimated for centuries. And God will come again, and there will be punishment. But God calls on his people through this passage, his, his Israel in Babylon and us today, to recall the covenant that bound them to him, the predictions of his prophets, which they were now experiencing in fulfilment. God's desire in disciplining his people was to, that they would turn to him in genuine faith, that they would be redeemed and transformed and renewed and healed of their spiritual blindness and deafness. So that they would discover and rejoice and glory in what he had promised to them, that he is a God who loves to forgive who loves to bless the people that he has redeemed and formed for his glory. He is a God who redeems his people from their sins, who preserves and loves them and enables them to to know his presence and joy through fires and floods and exile of life without fear. (coughs) 
God did accomplish this new thing that he spoke of. In Luke 9.35 on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God spoke from heaven to Jesus' astonished disciples who were present. He said, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. We too uh, must really listen to Jesus. And so uh, as we look to him in faith... We are saved from uh, exile, from spiritual blindness, from deafness. We are redeemed as part of the new exodus, from slavery to sin, the new way through the desert that leads to eternal life. And so as he calls us to listen, to be his servant in the world, uh, we we follow him even through flood, even through fire, because he will be with us. We listen and believe when he says, fear not. We listen and believe that that he is God and there is no other because he has redeemed us. We are his and we will be with him always. He will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the message of salvation that you have proclaimed lord we are spiritually blind and deaf we are hard-hearted and uh, and ignorant but lord it is your work that you would transform us that you would redeem us by the death of your son and you have done that lord you have done that and we know your presence you are with us always you are our god and lord we are able to look to you by faith because of your holy spirit within us so lord we pray that we would follow you that we would listen to you and that we would not turn to the right or to the left but that we would follow you in all our ways in christ's name we pray amen